Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Today on KUNC's Colorado Edition, coverage of the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been filled with images of people fleeing, often leaving behind personal items like cars and clothing, but bringing their pets with them. For one emergency veterinarian in northern Colorado, that was a call to action. So he packed some supplies and headed to the Ukrainian border. There is more to veterinary medicine. I, you know, I tell my colleagues then, you know, going to work at your hospital, seeing pets, getting paid and go home. This is how we engage with the world. In just a moment, I'll talk with him about what the experience was like, about the surprising moments of joy he found, and about the work he does here in northern Colorado. It's Friday, April 8th. I'm Erin O'Toole, and this is Colorado Edition from KUNC. It's been about six weeks since Russian forces invaded Ukraine. In that time, millions of people have fled the country, and many of them refuse to leave without their beloved family pets. Seeing all of those images of people with children in tow and dogs or cats in carriers or in their arms made John Geller want to do something to help. So in March, the Fort Collins-based emergency veterinarian hopped on a plane and headed overseas to set up a clinic to provide care to help ensure the pets are cleared to travel to other European countries with their owners. Geller also founded the Street Dog Coalition. That's a nonprofit based in northern Colorado that helps people experiencing homelessness get free vet care for their companion animals. I had the chance to meet with Dr. Geller a few days after he'd returned home from the Ukrainian border to talk about his experience there. I began by asking him more about how and why he decided to get on that plane. Yeah, actually, I mean, it's like everybody else wanted to go, wanted to go help, so dismayed at seeing what was going on over there. And my wife actually uh, prompted me to go. She says, well, instead of just talking about it, why don't you do something? You see the pictures of all the pets. Um, we should go over there and, and see how you can help. And so I kind of went over there blind, meaning I didn't really know what I was going to do. I had two, two large suitcases of uh, medical supplies because I knew those would help somewhere. And I was able to connect with uh, some local veterinarians that were working at the, who were living at this one border station uh, called Isatia in southern Romania. And they said, yeah, come down here. We'll figure out how we can do this. And so where were you in relation to Ukraine? Uh, I was on the Danube River, which separates Ukraine from Romania in, in southern Ukraine. And so I was pretty close to where that river uh, drains into the Black Sea. And the closest city to us would be Odessa, which has um, come under some pressure recently. It's about a three-hour drive away. But folks from southern Ukraine, especially southwest Ukraine, would be coming through our border station. And so how were people arriving there? Were they on foot? or They were both on foot and in cars, and I think some of them may have arrived by bus and train. The station I was at was a ferry crossing, so they all came across on a ferry, either in a car or on foot. Of course, we all saw the incredible images on the news of people fleeing with their pets, often in their arms. I'm wondering what kind of care you um, provided for the animals. Well, we kind of had two different things we were doing. Is one is to, to provide basic veterinary care, if if it looked like they needed it. 
And the other part was to provide them, along with this care, was what's called a pet passport, which is required in the European Union to travel between countries. And without that, they wouldn't have been able to leave Romania with their pet. And many of them were planning to leave Romania to go further west to to Germany, for example, or, or maybe even France. And so to do that, we had to do some te- technical procedures like microchips. We had to do rabies vaccines, deworming. And so in addition to that, then we, we took care of any other minor medical problems they had. We also had use of a local veterinary hospital for any serious problems. Well, let me ask you about the people you encountered. When they arrived at your clinic, what kind of shape were they in? They were, uh, on the out- outward Outwardly, they appeared fairly stoic, and and then when we'd start talking to them, um, some of them would really express their dismay at what was happening and break break down a little bit. Physically, though, they seemed okay. And, and remember, this was all almost women and children and some older men because anyone between 18 and 60, any man, was required to stay in Ukraine unless they had an exemption. And it was amazing watching all of the baggage and little kids that they were hauling in addition to their pets. So I'd say you mostly it was Ukraine women, and, and these women are really tough because the weather when I first got there was brutal. It's cold wind was blowing across uh, from Ukraine, but they were uh, they were unperturbed and and they really wanted to make sure their pets got taken care of. How did you communicate with people while you were there? I'm assuming that you don't speak Ukrainian. No, that's actually it's kind of a funny situation because. None of the Romanians that, that I was working with spoke any Ukrainian, and none of the Ukrainians spoke any Romanian, but they both spoke a little bit of choppy English, so I ended up being almost like a translator, even, even though I spoke neither language. <laughs> uh, luckily, they did have uh, some translators at this border crossing site, and I had some vet students from Serbia helping me with the pets, and, and most of them speak three or four language, languages, so they were, they were great at translating. And I'm curious what the atmosphere was like at the the tent clinic. I mean, how was it to be there with, you know? It was, it was amazingly positive, amazingly positive. In between, these, these folks would come over on these ferry boats, and so there'd be a wave of folks. We'd take care of their pets. They'd be getting fed and everything. And then we'd just kind of, you know, hang out and celebrate and have fun doing, you know, there's a little Greek restaurant that's set up, and, you know, we'd do some music and Greek dances and things like that. It was just so much fun. Meeting again, know everybody at the border. I was pretty much the only American that that was there for any length of time, and felt humbled to be around folks from all over the world. Did you worry about your safety at any time? It turns out where I my family was worried about me going over there, but where I went was not really a war zone. And uh, as you know, if you follow the news, Ukraine, the Russians are really trying to limit their efforts to Ukraine and not not do anything in a NATO or European Union country, which could trigger a whole nother level. So because we were on the Romanian side of the river, although we, we were pretty close close to Ukraine, uh, I never felt I never felt any concern regarding my safety while I was there. When did you come back? I just came back this uh, past weekend, so still um, kind of unpacking everything in my mind and, and really looking back on, on what happened, but mainly... Uh, wanted to make sure that I, I had set the stage for ongoing care because that's part was part of our commitment. The deal I made with those guys was, hey, we'll set up a vet station, but Street Dog Coalition is going to keep it going in terms of volunteers and supplies. So that's what I'm working on now. Do you intend to go back to Ukraine or the border? Well, I'd really like to because it was an amazing experience, but it really depends on what's happening with the war. If 
Southwest Ukraine comes under pressure and more people start crossing. You know, we could be overwhelmed with numbers of pets. I'll be, you know, I'll be over there in a couple of days. So that's what it depends on. Do you know anything about the pets that were not able to be brought out? I mean, we saw some small dogs, and I remember an image of some people carrying their elderly German Shepherd, which looked really difficult. But what about pets that had to be left behind? Yeah, unfortunately, because of travel restrictions on buses and trains, larger larger dogs, medium larger dogs, often did have to be left behind. So now there's an effort by animal rescue organizations to round up these pets and bring them to a shelter across the border. And this was what was had been going on in Poland quite a bit and also in Romania. I just found out in the last two days that they are not allowing uh, these rescued pets across the border unless they've been in Ukraine for at least 21 days after getting a rabies shot, which is how long it takes medically for a rabies shot to be effective. And these are both countries with some pretty significant rabies incidents. So right now there's a big dilemma there is the dogs can't leave Ukraine. And um, we even talked about sending teams into Ukraine to do the vaccinations and microchipping and everything that needed to be done to get them out of there. But that would be a, a very different kind of project. I think safety concerns would be a little bit different and a little bit heightened in that kind of situation. They definitely would be. And, and some animal rescue folks have already uh, had some problems with that. But unfortunately, that's what's that's what it's shaping up to look like. I'd like to ask about your work with the Street Dog Coalition. Of course, you founded the organization. It's a nonprofit. Can you tell me a little bit about what the organization does? Our mission is, is pretty straightforward. We provide free veterinary care to pets of folks who are at risk of or experiencing homelessness. And we are, uh, even though we're focused, we have a heavy focus in Northern Colorado, we have volunteer veterinary teams in close to 50 U.S. cities that do free clinics on a semi-regular basis for these folks. It's interesting because you're, it sounds like you're used to working in a kind of non-traditional clinic setting. Did that help you in Ukraine? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we were, we were kind of made to do this work. You know, we, we call it street medicine. And human physicians do some of that too, where we just set up clinics, mobile clinics, wherever the people are. So we, we bring the medicine to the people to make it convenient. And we also work with minimal resources to see how much uh, veterinary care we can provide without x-ray machines and lab equipment and all that. And then the group of people we were working with had similar circumstances. They were they were homeless, they were transient, they didn't have home addresses. And so it, uh, it, it was, we were set up to do this and, and so far it's been pretty effective. Yeah. How does it feel knowing that you have been able to make that kind of difference for people and their pets, both here and abroad? Well, I'm just, I'm just glad the best thing really is getting other people involved. So we have a lot of, for example, veterinary students that are starting to do this kind of work. There is more to veterinary medicine. I, you know, I tell my colleagues than you know, going to work at your hospital, seeing pets, getting paid and go home. It was, it's like, this is how we engage with the world outside of the walls of our hospital. And so that's resonating with lots of uh, veterans, but also other folks. And, and we call it One Health, where we're getting medical providers, uh, mental health providers, dentists, et cetera, t- to join forces to do these One Health clinics. And that's, uh, and to some degree, that's what's happening at the Ukraine border also. Because you're not just caring for the animals, you also talk to the owners, the people. Yeah. And, we talk about working on both ends of the leash and we've kind of shifted really more and more toward 
toward the pet owner side because the pets are pretty straightforward to take care of. And, and the pet owners that are experiencing homelessness and are unsheltered and the Ukraine refugees have a lot of things going on that we can at least be good listeners uh, to them and help provide resources uh, for those for them as well with their problems and issues. I know people hearing this will want to help in some way, and we can include links to any methods too, but what's the best way to help out? Well, people have been amazingly generous so far, and we really appreciate it. And we've been funneling uh, some of the donations we've gotten back into the border to some other smaller nonprofits that are, like, for example, sheltering some of the pets. And so uh, the streetdogcoalition.org is our website, and, and people can tag their donations as Operation Ukraine, and, and they will be used directly on the border. Everybody's a volunteer that's working there, so it goes toward things like travel costs, medical supplies, and other med any medical equipment. Last question. I'm just curious how this experience has changed the way you think about what you're doing or, or changed you in some way. Well, it really did change me because I realized this international groundswell of support for the Ukraines has made a, had a unifying effect on the world because I saw volunteers from all over all over the world that was it was almost like a little Olympic village that was set up at this border station. There wasn't a real town there. And it's overshadowed some of the negativity of COVID and, and some of the controversy and divisiveness that I've been used to dealing with, especially regarding, for example, the homeless populations. We work here with the U.S. None of that came into question there. Everybody was there to help them. And to see that kind of outpouring of love was pretty amazing and you know, gave me a lot of hope for the future. Dr. John Geller, it was so great to talk to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity, Aaron. I really appreciate it. You'll find a link to the Street Dog Coalition, where you can help support the work at the Ukrainian border or here in Colorado at KUNC.org or in the show notes. Well, not only is it finally Friday, it's also opening day for the Colorado Rockies 2022 season. The Rockies face off against the LA Dodgers. First pitch is scheduled for 2:10 this afternoon at Coors Field and will be thrown out by Russell Wilson, the new quarterback for the Denver Broncos. The weather is looking just perfect, but if you're going, don't forget some protection. That's all for today on Colorado Edition. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Do that at your favorite podcast app or at KUNC.org. Our theme music was composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Additional music in this episode comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Our executive producer is Sean Corcoran. Digital editing is handled by Ashley Jeffco. And I'm Erin O'Toole. I'll be back next week with more news from Northern Colorado. Have a great weekend.